Before we start the show, I wanted to say thanks for listening. We want to bring you the best show we can, and sometimes it takes us a week or two to cut, edit, and present you something polished. But if you're the kind of person who wants to hear the long version with no frills and wants it as soon as possible, we're now putting our Ready Player 2 episode reviews on Patreon. Pay as much as you think is fair and get access to uncut episodes just hours after we record it. Join our community of gunters at patreon.com forward slash get to the good part, no spaces. Now, on to the show. This is Aaron from the show. First of all, thank you for listening. Once you finish listening to this episode, do us a solid. Go ahead and give us a rating and write a review of the show. This lets us know that we're doing a good job and helps other people find us. And speaking of other people, if you know someone who might enjoy the show, we would love it if you told them about it. We can be found at gttgp.com. There's tons of stuff on there. You can learn more about us. There's an episode guide. And of course, you can find our social media pages, where we love geeking out with our listeners. Now, let's get to the good part. Welcome back to Get to the Good Part. This is Chris. And this is Aaron. We got 80 miles to Morgoth's Dungeon Fortress, a couple of fast-ass horses, a couple of fast-ass... Fast-ass horses. (laughs) Do that again! got 80 miles to Morgoth's Dungeon... got 80 miles to Morgoth's Dungeon Fortress, a couple of fast-ass horses, and two badass swords. But are they wearing sunglasses? Ah! You caught the reference! Oh, that I saw that 80 miles away. Okay. All right. Fair enough. So, you know, reading these chapters in this place, there are so many difficult to pronounce words. And I'll be honest, like, Lord of the Rings is not my thing. I mean, like, I've seen all the movies, uh, but I've not read the books. I just have not dove even in the shallowest pond of this material. And I get, I get get that people love this stuff and i have no harsh to say this is not like the last you know prince world where i could have kind of harped on that for quite a bit i think it's fantastic i think it's freaking brilliant that any writer can keep track of such not just a complicated storyline but a complicated history that has multiple languages and multiple names for everything is just is overkill wild for an author that's got to be had to have been crazy difficult. Yeah, but where's your but? No, there's no but. That's it. Oh. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I know where you're going with that because I find novels and things like that, you know, or you know, t- movies, television with a lot of characters with, let's just say, non-traditional human. names, oh. non-human names, exceptionally hard to follow. Um, unless I really invest a lot of time in knowing the material and rereading it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like even Game of Thrones, which was something that I watched the TV shows, but then started to read some of it. And now the the source material of the books has a lot more than what's presented in the television show. And frankly, with so many characters, so many weird names from so many weird places, I find it hard to follow. Like even reading through this chapter, which really is just hitting on a bunch of names, it all starts to run together. It all kind of sounds the same. And it made this telling of the chapter seem so dry and boring. 
Yeah, it was it was kind of rough. And I have no doubt for somebody who has read through this and, and can pick up on this, it's probably, you know, 101. Probably 101. Yeah. They're probably absolutely titillated at the fact that that it's mentioning the names of these kick-ass swords, you know, and these kick-ass steeds, and then these kick-ass wolves. I have no doubt that, that this is just kind of speaking to the heart of those that really love this material. And this set of chapters is very much like this book to me. Like the first book, Ready Player One, I felt really spoke mostly to a lot of the stuff that I loved and that could relate to. And that was just it, right? I could relate to it. There's a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff in this book that I just can't relate to. And I think that might be why it's difficult for some people, either in the first book or even in the second one, because now I'm experiencing the struggle of not relating and now having to trod through the name dropping of all of this. I think the insult to injury Mm -hmm. is that the level of depth that he goes into so many of these references, it's an investment in a way that we didn't really get into in the first book. Mm -hmm. Most references were not delved into the level of detail that he does in this book. I mean, think about it. 10% of the entire book was on Prince World. Yeah. And then we have two chapters of these random Tolkien references and names and places and different ages and things like that. You had... If this is the deep cuts, man. This is the this is the this is the book of deep cuts, right? Particularly with certain subjects. And I don't think he spent more than I say this, I'm probably very wrong, but I don't it doesn't feel like he spent more than one chapter on any particular topic. Like even when we went to oh shit, what was that rock planet? Um The Rock Planet? No, the like rock and roll. Woo, guitars, aliens. Oh, the, 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 the Help me out planet. here. Yeah, Rush Planet, Planet Rush. Even when we went that, I don't think that lasted for longer than one chapter, maybe two. It felt like one chapter, right? Yeah, he didn't go too deep into it. Not a, there was hard, I don't think there was really any multi chap. Actually, Tomb of Horrors may have spanned a couple of chapters, right. but it wasn't like examining all the details of the tomb for two no. chapters. And I've seen the it tomb was, of horrors. There's so much. Yeah. It's a setting, not, not something that you're diving deep into and you're not looking over there and go, look, there's Bobbledygath's body of bones still covered in gold. I'm not going to touch him. I'm just going to keep walking. It didn't go like into that. It was, you're right. That's a great point. It was a setting. Like we really didn't get into what was the tomb of horrors. And if you've looked at the tomb of horrors map, there's a lot of shit that yeah. you've got to go through. And uh, this was nothing like that. I would say the difference between the first book and the second book, and with going talking about the level of detail into these references, is that the first book, when it was going into things like the Tomb of Horrors or the Temples of Searings, uh, Rush Planet, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. it made you want to learn more about it. Yeah. Whereas with the second book, it's like, oh my God, just make it stop. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, this is going to be really cool for the people who really dig in the deep cuts and dug this particular book. Right. But this is like, 
not an entrance into it. This isn't the surface that everybody hits. This is kind of like after everybody hits the core books and they get to this book and, you know, it kind of fits along with the plot to an extent, but it, it, it let's just move into it, right? Let's do it. Because, you know, we're we're 80 miles away from Morgoth's dungeon fortress and we got to figure out how to get there. And again, we're stuck in this thing where, where we're always struggling for that challenge of time. And it doesn't feel like there should be more than 10 minutes on the clock, right, before everyone dies. And somehow we're 80 miles. We're 80, mi- we're 80 miles! 80 miles away! It's an hour going 80 miles per hour. We're 80 miles away from wherever it is that they need to go. And somehow they have a variety of tools to get them there in reasonable time. Well, you know, he whips out a couple of horses that he kind of throws out there and they get on the horses. And then and then how fast are they moving? How fast are these horses moving, Aaron? How fast would they have to move to get them there in whatever damn period of time? I mean, we don't have much time. Yeah. Are they going like a few hundred miles an hour? The, the question I have to ask about this, why does he have these things? He doesn't need these things. He needs them for the story in order to get from point A to point B. But for somebody who's, who up until earlier that day had the robes of Anorak, what did he need those for? Oh, what you're saying is it shouldn't even be in his inventory. Like he had the robes of Anorak. Why wouldn't he just put that shit on a shelf somewhere, right? That's not a bad question to ask, really. Like, like we're just we're just pulling shit out of the satchel of convenience. Yeah, the only reason to have them is if he wanted to continue to play, or if he wanted to continue to engage in simulations and keep playing the game. So that sure. way, like, so so he to act like he doesn't have the cheat codes because he does have the ultimate cheat code is that he he's got an infinite life. Prior to the losing the robes of Anorak, he had infinite hit points. And he could go anywhere he wanted to. So travel, not an issue. Uh, it just seems like the there are people in the Oasis who actually need, you know, who aren't the CEO of the company, who would actually love to have some of those things, but like, no, he's got them. Oh, so I see what you're saying. He's like a CEO, you know, spell hoarder. Yeah. You know, he's that guy. Like he has all the shit that everybody wants to get. And he owns the company, which is like, that's not nice. What? I I get where you're coming from there. And that's a good point. I mean, I I guess one could argue that, you know, your inventory is limitless and bottomless and that you could just call up what you've collected over the years, whatever you want. It doesn't feel like the game was set up that way in, in the first book. Like it felt like you had to go to this place to grab your weapons and that you seemed kind of limited as to the shit you could carry with you. I, I don't know. It felt limited. But I, I get what you're saying here is like. He's like, hold on a second. We've got this thing where we've got 80 miles to go. Let me grab it in my bag of convenience. Oh, two horses. We're yeah. good. Although, although granted, like I did love the, you know, gut blue and black because I like to chill. Got yellow and green when it's time to ill. Good, solid run DMC my Adidas reference. Yeah, I'd never heard that song. But did you listen to it, though? You know, I should have. I looked at the lyrics, but I did not listen to it. That's a good song. Run DMC is fantastic. They they still um, hold the key to one of my favorite Christmas songs. You mind if we hear some tunes? That was back when rap was fun. Hey, that'll work. Okay. 
some Christmas music? This is Christmas music. But at least we got like, you know, some solid reference there. You know, H is coming equipped with the shoes, right? And then, of course, there's, you know, here's some swords. Those shoes would have been convenient at uh, Castle Anorak in the first book. True that. But she had the flying shoes on, didn't she? Isn't that no. just like the shoes he went to pick up because he ended up flying up to the door, to the portal, the gateway, whatever? Those were uh, Artemis. Were those Artie's? Mm. Um, this means that H got those shoes after becoming a co-owner of GSS. We don't know. It might have happened before. But I get you. They're all collecting, right? Because they're all still playing. What's the point of playing if you don't get your thing? If H had shoes that could have made the wearer 10 feet tall, like the song goes, or whatever mm-hmm. the, the lyrics were, that would have been convenient to get to the gate at yeah. the end of the first book. Quite possibly. So I don't think H had them. Just saying. So they're riding along on the backs. Anybody else two- picturing... Monty Python, Holy Grail. <laughs> they're riding along. And they do. They do make a reference, right? So they're riding along, and 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 uh, another thing that kind of popped out here is Z didn't put his browser on private. Oh. <laughs> and H sees that he's looking at the the cheat notes from Gunterpedia. When yeah. did researching become a problem? This argument. A little weak, a little weird. It was weird. It was like, I think it was like an introduction into why don't you know your shit, and him not knowing his shit needed to lead down a particular path. So he his he had to be called out. Like, you know, H is along for the ride in this situation, and it, H doesn't know what's going on, but she's trusting Z to figure out what's up, and Z's taking him down this path towards imminent doom with no fucking plan. And I get that. I get being pissed off like, you don't know what's going on. Do you know anything about this place? Holy shit, you're just reading from the notes. Uh, it's it's a bit like mansplaining from your phone. <laughs> you know, you're trying to play like you know more than you do on your phone. Like, you're gaining the knowledge and then regurgitating it to look good. Yeah. Right? I mean, how often do... If you have a resource that you know is correct, but like this stuff you know, but like you'll still refer to the source material or references because why the fuck not? Somebody, I mean, yeah. it, in the first book, that's they did that, like they knew shit, but they all, you know, they had to have read it because they constantly referenced it. Yeah, they did it in the in the first book all the time. You know, if somebody if somebody was bitching at me because we were on our way to imminent doom. And they're like, you don't know what we're doing? It'd be like, yeah, so maybe you should whip out your resources and get to learning as well. Maybe we'll come up with something between the two of us. Yeah, seriously. Like, get back to gunting mode for crying out loud. Yeah, stop bitching because of what I don't know. It's it, And it, it seemed a harsh on the fact that he, maybe he was passing himself off as an expert at this shit. But again, even experts may not catch all the deep cuts. And evidently, this is one of those deep cuts. Think about the piles and piles of Tolkien material. Yeah. How can anybody be an expert? At all of it. On all of it. I would definitely reference any cliff notes on it 
especially if it was a life or death situation. Especially. I, what it really drills down here is that drills down to is that he has no experience with Art of One. That's it. That's, you know, a classic guy line is we'll figure out what we need to do. I'll figure it out. Let's just keep going. We'll figure it out. Right. When we simmer this down to its basic problem, it's that he didn't learn this on purpose because it reminded him of Samantha. And he was gonna, was gonna, was gonna do it. But then they broke up. And then he was like, you know, it's just too painful to go back and do that thing. Right. And I get that. Like, I've had relationships where there's shit that, like, you know, in my mind, I was kind of like, I'm going to reown this, but I'm going to give this other thing up. Because it's just connected too much to that person. You know, it's almost like a divorce of mental property, kind of. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I get it. You know, you get rid of that one t-shirt or you don't, you stop listening to that one band. Even if they put out some new music, you're like, nah, that's, that's, that's too close to the pain in my memory. I'm going to let that person have that band. And that's no longer going to be a good thing for me. I think that's something that a lot of people deal with. Like, oh, nope. That's tainted now. I can't. Yeah, you know. that's that tainted is a great way to put it. And it's kind of like traversing even those kind of brings in those parallel memories. It's like walking through a burnt building a year later. You still feel like you smell the smoke, which you probably don't, but you, you get it. It's kind of taking you too close to the memory. I understand in concept this whole thing, but mm. he only dated her for 10 days. But he was in love with her for years, dude. Yeah, but he only from really when he, knew from her. When he, no, when he first met her, he was young. And then, you know, that relationship grew and then she kicked him to the curb a bit. And then he pined over her for what I think was like a year, a year and a half, like years. They may have only like gotten together, hooked up and then exploded 10 days. But there's like a whole feels like two year relationship in book one. I, I hear you. I still think that in person is the way to go. The way to go. <laughs> uh, the, uh, yeah, I, I get you. But still, I mean, it makes sense to me. I get still 10 days. It's like, man, get over this human being. So there's three volcanoes ahead. The peaks of Thangorodrim. For the love of God, I hope I got that right. Because the words in this fucking chapter are so hard to pronounce. They sound like it. names of pharmaceuticals. <laughs> Am I wrong? Narsil. Narsil. Having trouble sleeping? Take Narsil. Anduril. <laughs> Anduril. May cause nausea, vomiting, and death. Glamdring. May cause diarrhea from the mouth. Glamdrine, intended to make you happy, but may make you suicidal. Talk to your doctor if you have thoughts of killing yourself with sharp glowing knives. Thangordrim. I mean, it... Thangordrim. All the fiber you need to make yourself regular. Thangordrim. By Alatar and Palando. <laughs> I mean... Oh, God. It, yeah, I mean, it's just it, it, it. They're hard. Like even when I went through and I like were making notes on some of these names, I just freaking had to spell it out like it sounded, not at all like it spelled. So I thankfully had the audiobook to help guide me in that realm. But who the hell knows if even Will Wheaton was pronouncing it correctly? It sounded nice. I bet he had to do research to figure out how to pronounce some of these. I gotta wonder if he like had to reread 
a number of these a bazillion times, you know, just, just does not fall out of the mouth easily. I bet it's like similar, 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 that's easier to say. They're on their way to Morgoth, which makes Saruman look like a puppy. Oh. All-powerful, invulnerable, arguably the toughest NPC. This is who they're going to fight. Is it going to be a problem? Sounds like a problem to me. Especially when you're going in there, you know, what is it? No, it'll be super easy. Barely an inconvenience. Oh. I don't know. Where are you going <laughs> with this? That was it. I'm already really bored it. talking about all these weird names. <laughs> I, I know. I get it. But, you know, at least we had a, a reference to something we're familiar with, which is Osiovox. They have the Osiovox's improved obfuscation. That don't hurt. To which they cast themselves for invisibility. Don't forget the Jack Burton reference. Yeah, God, you know, I get that you could say it a certain way, but, like, the words are not particularly unique to that movie. No, but if you're trying to imitate the way Jack Burton said it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What were the words again? Z, I was born ready. Yeah. That's not the only Big Trouble in Little China reference in these set of chapters. Mm-hmm. There is another one a little bit later. Did you pick up on it? I didn't pick up on it, but we'll get there. We'll get there. Don't spoil it for me. Don't, don't spoil it. So uh, first off... Invisibility evidently doesn't work very well as you're getting closer to the hill. But let me ask you a question. Like, if you could buy an invisibility cloak, would you? Invisibility cloak? If I could buy one, would I? First off, do you take, like, the local metro at all? Uh, I used to. (laughs) That's something you might use the invisibility cloak. I used to. I I have not in, one might say, two and a half years. Did you know that the government spent $22 million researching invisibility? $22 million, that's all? That's not a lot of money for the government. No, I guess not. Would you believe $1 billion? I could see them doing that. Can you get one on Kickstarter? Actually, yes. Don't, Shut you, up. You, you, seriously, you think I'm kidding, right? A real working invisibility shield. Surprise your friends. Avoid your enemies. Created by Invisibility Shield Co., that's a clever name. Where, I wonder how long it took for them to come up with it. <laughs> it's good marketing, right? For only 300 pounds or 600 US dollars, you can get a full-size invisibility shield. Hide an entire person behind a full-size freestanding invisibility shield. Measures 950 by 650 millimeters. You can get a small one for 50 pounds. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not sure what you're going to hide with the small one. But anyways, it, you ask, it exists. How did we get on this tangent? It's, I don't know. I don't know. The government spends too much money on visibility. Oh, because they, they use the invisibility thing. Spell. Yeah. Spe- yes, because they use the uh, Osiovox's improved obfuscation. Osiovox. But, you know. Fuck it. That doesn't work as you get closer. The animals are still looking at them going, you're going to be tasty when you're dead. And and the first big attack, you know, of this section of this world is, uh, is with a giant wolf. You know, evidently a 10 foot tall wolf. 
but a giant wolf nonetheless with big teeth and evidently they're venomous teeth. And it's at this point that the chapter begins teasing you because we're going to kill off H, you know, chomp, chomp, midsection H, H go down, H die. (laughs) Bye, H. Sorry (laughs) not to hear you complain for the rest of the book. Was that really what went through your head? H has been whining this whole, like for the last few chapters. <laughs> well, not for the last few, because the last few has been Prince World. We're the ones yeah, that have been whining H- about Prince World. H has been loving it. H was whining about how people didn't know it better. Oh, I guess that's true. Fuck you, H. And then they decide they're, or they realize they have to go to Middle Earth. And he's like, uh, all the. Oh, oh, or, or, you know. White Hobbits, White Illinois, but John Hughes. Uh, yeah, complaining there too. It's like, come on. I, I miss the H where they were playing video games and bantering. Yes, that H was, was awesome. That H was awesome. Giant Cheshire smile and Cheshire. always happy and in my mind, always sounding like a, a surfer dude. That's, yeah. That's how I imagined it at least, but not so much now. This H has an agenda, and it's really, really? annoying. I oh, feel like right? it. Hmm. Oh. How can you bitch at somebody else not being Gunter enough when you know nothing about the place that you're in? Exactly. It's like, it, so you're saying that you didn't deserve to be on the leaderboard because you weren't, you weren't a gun. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But there's that actual fear, right? So Z takes a couple hits and he's fucking bleeding out and the swords aren't doing jack. And, you know, scoops up all of her stuff, all of her inventory, starts dual wielding swords now. But those are just freaking bouncing off, really. It's at this point that there was this kind of this, well, of course, obviously, we have several chapters to go. It's not going to die. But it kind of reminded me of, did you ever watch Westworld? I've seen the first, uh, like the first two seasons ish. Maybe okay. Seen- you, you probably should have just stopped at the end of the first season because uh, yes, uh, that yeah. is absolutely true. First season was great. I love the man in black. I love the the fact that he was looking for the real game. That because the world didn't pose a physical threat, he believed that there was a game within the game. Right to get to the center of the maze might be a place where the stakes are real because no one can hurt him. No one's going to shoot him. There's nothing he can't survive. And that's how the park's designed. And he was looking for that place where, you know, I I don't know if it's like the back lot of Disney world where you're trying to see the real threatening side. And I was like, that's kind of interesting. Like this game this world now has a very real consequence to leaving. Like imagine being in another world, playing a game and having still to consider life and death circumstances, not just losing your money, losing your artifacts, losing your levels. 
life and death circumstances, would that that would put kind of like an edge on the whole thing? A little bit, just a teeny tiny one. You know, shit that you might like just go balls to the wall brazen because you know that if you die, you just pop out and have to respawn. Now, now, now there's real consequence. I kind of, part of me fucking loves that. But out of the blue comes Artie to the rescue. Only after H dies, but yes. She, She couldn't have come just a moment sooner. Damn it. The whole sequencing just felt very much like a movie. Well, you know, I think this is probably one of the better cliffhangers, right? It's the end of the chapter, and then, boom, his ex-girlfriend falls from the sky. My first thought was, I thought you couldn't fly. Well, not with regular spells. Right. But she didn't, actually. She, like, I guess took the form of an ant. Oh, she took the form of a bat. That's how she fucking got there. She's a bat that flew... 300 miles per hour. Had to, yeah. Yeah, to traverse 80 miles in minutes. Well, she may not have spawned right there. She could have spawned at one of the, what do they call it? Could have spawned further away because she didn't have the crystal. And he suspected that the reason why they spawned where they did was because they had the crystal because they were nowhere near a spawn point. Well, yeah, that's the thing. She may have come from a spawn point that might have been closer. Oh, maybe unlocked because she did the whole planet. Okay. Well, I suppose I can well not that. necessarily you know, unlock because of that, but she could have just traveled to the planet and spawned nearby. Right. It's possible. Just Fair saying. enough. But still, she had to travel a distance at an incredible speed. Well, remember, okay. we don't have much time left. Everything's got to be sped up to make this work. Well, I know, but it's this kind of, it's 80 miles away. You don't have time for that. Oh, no, no, it's cool. I've got two horses that go incredibly fast. You know, Artemis has to get to you. Oh, it's no big deal. She can turn into a bat. Wait, a bat can fly that fast? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, why not? A bat with warp warp speed. So, and here's the solution. Artie sings a song. It's an excerpt of Oberon and Luthien, which I know I've just absolutely obliterated in pronouncing those words. But we're just going to go with it, I think. It's fine. It's fine. It's going to be all all good. It's, It's okay. Before we go too far from that, I thought about this, uh, listening to this on my way home from work today. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, motherfucker, you have the beta capsule. Would that even work in this world? Why not? I mean, there are rules. There are rules. And that's true. Like, it's an artifact. Yeah. And I, you could cast it and you could fly at incredible speeds. Not as fast as horses, evidently, but fast. I mean, you have the beta capsule. Why not use it? Try. I mean, that wolf doesn't seem all that dangerous if you're a giant fucking robot. It sounds like, yeah, it sounds like in three seconds, this thing was making such headway on them that he's like, oh, shit, I better think of something. We've we've gone up against a lot of foes, but this just knocked us out in a matter of moments. And it's kind of like, yeah, that's a good point. Look, that's this is a problem with with books in this realm. Whenever whenever you incorporate magic into your writing or technology that has no constraints. It's too easy to find holes. If you don't have rules and you don't acknowledge the rules and you're just whipping shit out that break the rules or go beyond the rules. I mean, this idea that we're going to go fight these two beasts and we're not even pulling out like the most powerful shit in the last book. I would have loved to have seen the beta capsule make an appearance. 
That'd have been awesome. But it makes this 10-foot wolf seem like nothing. Exactly. You, you step know? on it a few times. It buys you time. Yeah. At, at yeah. Or maybe, or maybe you hold it back while somebody else runs in or something. But the just pick, here is... Pick it up and throw it five miles away. <laughs> You, you can pick it up and fly and drop it into one of the three volcanoes. You're right. Like, like you, you begin to, your, when it's unlimited, when you have broken the box, you think a lot, you can think along these lines. All of a sudden, these threats aren't threatening. You know, the most evil thing you can run into is just kind of like, well, let me just get, get that other thing from that last book. That's a bazillion times bigger than that thing. And. And they certainly didn't stop collecting things, so they must have more stuff that wasn't ever discussed. That's all I'm saying. It just... That's a good point. And that's a good example of how... This is what can... keeps me up at night. <laughs> God, I'm glad and I thought about that. You're right. There are just way better ways to just get rid of these things. But they're trying to thread the needle. You know, that's a very specific small hole. So we're just going to do what the hole wants us to do. And you just like, you don't have to fucking use the needle. Staple gun. Needle no more. Uh, I get lost in my metaphors, but you feel me. That's a really good thought, though. The only excuse is that in the heat of the moment, you forget what's in your arsenal. Yeah. And I guess I guess you can't. You can't go back. You can't use the same shit over and over again, right? And as an author, I have to imagine uh, there. There's a book series that I listen to. It's like you know, thirteen, fourteen books in, and it's a kind of a spacefaring. It's very challenging. It has puzzles, not puzzles for you, but it's like they come up against a really hard problem, and then they think of a way. But after a while, just kind of like, well, can't we just do that thing we did before? And they're like, ah, 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 we can't do that anymore. You know. Uh, we can only do that once. You know, like they, they, that particular author does a really good job of thinking ahead about how they can solve the problem now, but not use the same trick before. Well, that happens in this chapter 25. Yeah, but the problem is that there's nothing keeping us from thinking about using the past tricks. Yes. So that's right? why like, I would have at least appreciated if... I, re I remembered, ah, the beta capsule. I pulled it out, and it didn't work. You know, it's it like, doesn't... oh, no, why isn't this working? It's like, silly rabbit, you know, technology's not for here. Yeah, something <laughs> like some that. some shit like that. At least then, like, it would have given some sense of thinking about what he already had that it could have helped him out in the situation rather than just, like, taking it, you know? Mm -hmm. It just, I don't know, it, it, it bugged me that he clearly has things in his little satchel or whatever you want to call it, his bag of holding. And just like, nah, I'll just use these swords. I won't do anything to try to make myself less of a target in any way. Now, granted, they did say, they did say that, that there aren't any weapons. I don't take weapons in the broadest sense that would do damage other than what was smithed by the elven the elves in this realm right like you know it's like the shit you got ain't gonna help you right but the fact of the matter is that they don't really use these weapons to do damage anyhow i mean that's, h gets a little bit in solution yeah but yeah that's not going to be the solution here you know so it doesn't matter that those weapons wouldn't do you any good but as you'd already mentioned like fucking you know pick dog up in hand of Ultraman. Robot hand, yeah, Ultraman robot hand, and to go and fly and drop into 
or just throw five miles. It'll take him a while to get back unless, you know, he has a horse that moves at lightning speed. <laughs> Anyhow, we've, we've drilled into that quite, quite a bit. So Artemis comes in and sings the song, rejuvenates his health. We're good to go now. Doesn't that remind you of the Tomb of Horrors? The doggy goes to sleep. Huh? When Artemis cast the spell on Z to heal him, it's the Tomb of Horrors all over again. Kind of, yeah. Kind of there to save his ass. Although this time he actually needed it. Yeah, well, yeah, pretty much. And they run off down the path. And she she casts a spell on him to basically turn him into... What was it? Was it also a wolf? Was it a dog? It was something. Some four-legged thingy. Wolfhame of Dragluine. Dragluine? Say that Dragluine? four times fast. Anyhow, turns it into an animal, which I was like, well, that's fucking cool. Uh, Thankfully, he'd done it so many times, it wasn't a big deal. Yeah, but it's unusual. A little. A little bit. So it, they, they find a shortcut that this freaking castle has a, an expansive maze that, that is a variable and ever-expanding and whatnot. But she knows a shortcut. Of course. Because, of course, there's a shortcut. That takes them takes them right to the throne. We passed over the reference that I wanted to bring up. Okay. Is it the brace girdle? No, 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 no. Okay. So when he's starting to show symptoms of synaptic overload syndrome. Him getting twitchy? A little bit twitchy. Trembling, teeth grinding, headache. So she asked Take him. Take dragluine. May I continue? <laughs> she says... She, you sure you're ready? He said, and then he responds, I feel fantastic. I lied. Now that you're here, I have a very positive attitude about all this. Was that was that the reference you're talking about? Yeah, the very positive attitude about all this. That's like the elevator scene in Big Trouble in Little China. I feel pretty good. <laughs> and I'm not, uh, not scared at all. I just feel kind of... feel kind of invincible. <laughs> Me too. I got a very positive attitude about this. Good, me too. Yeah. <laughs> is it getting hot in here or is it just me? Okay, I totally missed that reference. Uh, I, uh, Love it. Love it. I laughed. I went, ha, ha, ha. And then I moved on. And then you moved on to the reality that we're, we're still in. That we're still in this chapter. We're still in this chapter. <laughs> I, I don't know if this was, well, I think I do know, but for there are times where it was like, is this better or worse than Prince World? And I would say it's still better than Prince World, but it's not far off. I would at least say that, that it speaks to sort of the D&D guy in me, but the fight scenes were, the, the struggle doesn't feel real, you know, because they, they finally get to Morgoth. She sings a song. He falls over and his crown pops off. And then they take one of the three crystals in the crown. And then they took the Cimmeril. Cimmeril. For when you're too bound up, Cimmeril, to cause flow through your intestines. But only take one. If you take two, you die. Do not take Cimmeril if you're smoking. Right. If you take two, you're fucked. Take one. I thought that was at least a clever twist to that. Well, and I like the fact that maybe you don't know, like you just don't know what's going to happen and you just have to trust not to take two or three for that matter. Right. And even at that point, I was kind of like, well, it didn't turn into the crystal. 
And they're saying it didn't turn into the crystals. So what the fuck does that mean? Are they going to leave? Mm. Are they going to take more? Is it a trap? But, you know, they do the right thing. They do the right thing. And then they leave. And all of a sudden, the Simril is no longer in his inventory. It's in his hand. Stuck in his hand. And evidently, there's a thing, you know, with, with Wolfie Boy that he'll bite your hand off and then it'll burn inside of him and he'll run away and then you got to chase his shit. So that's not the right way to go. Well, it sounds and then, like they don't want that. And then you've got the volcanoes are exploding. You've got the armies are waking back up. They're caught in a pinch. What the fuck are you going to do? Call an Uber. Close, I guess. You just pull out your dog figurine. No, this wasn't the dog figure. Oh, oh yeah, but they used yeah, the was. dog figurine. And then... I thought we were talking about, uh, I moved ahead, um, so I'm ready to move forward. The long white-haired dog. So The figurine of wondrous wolf, power. Wolf, mean wolfy dog is caught up, and then <laughs> the eagles swoop down to carry them away. How convenient. It's a thing. And again, I, I think this is just a situation where, where we're just you know calling back to references in the book, and I can't appreciate it quite as much. But it's yeah. it's kind of like we get into it, we get into a bind, and then it's like eagle ex machina, you know. Or I'll pull out a little figurine. I'm not loving this chapter. I feel like I'm being way more negative than I should be. Like I did, I did enjoy it to a certain extent because it was kind of like, oh no, what are we gonna do? Solution. Oh no, what's this thing? Quick solution. Oh no, I'm dying. Artie. Yeah. You know. Oh no, the most powerful creature in the world. Make it go to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> so it was kind of like it was a bit let down because there's there's no clever thinking here. There's no like, how are we going to suss this out? I was not along for the ride as far as solving these problems because there was no working to a solution. It was what's going to fall in my lap? What can I pull out of my bag of tricks that, by the way, you as the reader don't know? And what's going to swoop from the sky to grab our ass? Yeah, it was it was a letdown. And, you know, this was after the Prince World chapters, which anything would have looked amazing by comparison. And yet it was still disappointing reading. Well, it, and you think about the most powerful NPC in the world, and, and you have to sit back and go, this can't be the final boss fight, right? Because we've got several chapters to go, and you know there's going to be a conflict. This can't be the big conflict. So we've got we've to quickly brush past this. We've got to make it seem formidable and then we got to come up with a clever solution that lets us slip past it real quickly and that's what this was you know this this was the how can we slip past everything that's that that's placed in front of us but foul ex machina swoops in and as they're flying away even in the most devastating situation they're still z swooning over Artie while they're flying on the eagles and i'd be like i'm tired I, I'm not sure that I'd be swooning over. There's nothing I would be swooning over. You know, you could, you could put the most beautiful cheesecake on the back of one of those eagles. And I'd be like, I it. like I where care. you're going with this. Don't fuck it. Don't care. I'm tired. And of course he's still fucking, you know, twitching and, and out. he's like this he's like, and he's shaking. Yeah. And getting a headache. I mean, really swooning. It's, it's like swooning over somebody that's in the, in an emergency room. It's like, this is uh, not the time or the place, my friend. Yeah, but you know those raging teen hormones. Is he still a teen? Mm, I don't think so. 
I think there's been too many. He's probably in his early 20s now. I I feel like this is something that should just be on the tip of my tongue. He is this old at this point. I just don't care. Yeah, yeah, I feel you. So we're at that place where we're talking about the end game, right? Uh, How the fuck is is Halliday going to get away? How, How does this end? Because if everything's being destroyed, everyone's going away. The support for this system is going to go away, too, because that's all server-based. People got to deal with it. How are they going to deal with it? And he's like, fuck, Arcadia. He's just going to upload and steal Arcadia. He's going to get in a spaceship and fly away. He's going to take Kira into a version or a copy of the Oasis and set course for another planet. It's not a bad theory. At this point, I'm kind of like, not a bad idea. Wow. Yeah. It's very um, like that Star Trek episode with Moriarty and the holodeck. Is this where they fool him into thinking he's free? Yeah. Oh. Very ship him, in a bottle. And they then they put him in the little the little cube. The little capsule and, and thing. Yeah. And, and like, he thinks and he thinks he's gotten out and that he's free into the world and it's just a, a simulation in a cube. Exactly. Shit, I'm surprised I remembered that. Good for you. Yeah. Take two Thangoro Drims and call me in the morning. Absolutely. <laughs> Whatever it is that you just said. (laughs) (laughs) Any one of those words. Any one of those words. So uh, last up here, Artie tosses him a tactical telebot control station, which is like an in-game haptic rig, I guess, to use. Why not? And she's going to pop out and she's going to see if she can't go free Og. And evidently, he's going to wait for her signal to pop into that uh, control system and give her a hand, which and there you go. seems like that would be a waste of his time if he needs to press forward for the next crystal, the next shard. Is he in any capacity to even be helpful at this point? What with Og? Well, I mean, if he's got that little control station and he can control, yeah, yeah. He's shaky. He's shaky. He's just a little bit shaky. Fine, then he's going to be like a crazy robot. <laughs> Help it out. Oh, man. I'm looking at this paragraph. <laughs> Soaring on their great feathery wings, Gwaihir and Landravel carried us over the scorched wasteland of Anfoglith and over Tarnufwin to the Valley of Tumo... No, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Tarnufwin to the Valley of Tarmaldin. Oh, oh. It, yeah. If yeah. I wanted to read Tolkien, I would have read Tolkien. Tomaldwin. Is the sun causing your skin to burn? Take Tomaldwin. All right. I think that closes it up. Look, give me some positive notes here, man. Tell me what you liked about the chapter. We've kind of, I hate that we've harped on it. I feel like we're coming off of Prince World a little salty, and then we're fucking dumped into, into shit that's named like drugs. What are the positives here, man? So I'll say that what I liked about chapter 25 and specifically was this felt like Parzival and Artemis meeting in the Tomb of Horrors. Okay. So it sort of takes you back to something you loved. Yeah. She cast a spell to heal him, even though in the first book he didn't need it. Right. This time he did. She does the snort laugh. Yeah. And she calls him Ace. Oh, Ooh, that's a good pickup. Right on. And there was another pseudo-reference to the first book that she asked his alignment. And he says, chaotic good. Right. So chapter nine of Ready Player One, 
in the Tomb of Horrors, mm-hmm. she creates the magical barrier to, you know, keep him in there. Right. Uh, but it's going to last 15 minutes. And he says, you're evil. You know that. And then she grins, shakes her head and says, chaotic neutral sugar. <laughs> how do you, did they ever explain how you get that? Like I get in D&D as you create a character, you get to choose that. And then as you play through what you do kind of needs to fall within that alignment to a certain degree. Like, you know, your DM can come to you and say, that's not what you would do. You wouldn't do that. Come on. Seriously. So, so right. in D&D, you actually have to like say, my alignment is this or that. Yeah. Or you roll you, for you it or can't, something. You can't just like go up to a child and fucking cut them down like Anakin, right? If you're, if you're lawful good. You're not going to do that. Like you, you go and you do that and, and DM's going to call bullshit on you and say, you're lawful good. Can you rationalize that as a lawful good character? Right. You, you can get pushback based on your alignment. But I don't know that I've heard it even defined here as to so, yeah, what that your does alignment the question. I thought she was just asking, like, in his head, where is he? I have to imagine it's like a real thing. Like, it's like a stat kind of situation. And and there are games where you can choose. Like, there was a Star Wars game that's not coming to mind at the moment, but it's really popular. And it allowed you to go around and, and basically pick up missions. And depending on how you responded and the missions you picked up and the decisions you made, um, your your alignment would change. But it was more like dark, you know the dark side versus the light side of the force, right? And it would be kind of this needle that would waver. And depending on where you were on this scale, the game would respond to you in a slightly different way. Bless. Interesting. Yeah, it was super cool. And I feel shitty for not remembering the name of the game. I bet there's a lot of people who are listening that can remember it. But anyhow, I, I have to imagine that it is something that you earn as you make decisions through the world. But they really haven't gone into that. And it's interesting that that's kind of like like a, a that's that's a crutch thing here is that if you're evil in any regard, you, you can't do this. It's like, yeah, well, that's fucked up. That feels like a detail that I'm actually now much more interested in knowing how that actually works in the Oasis. I just thought she was asking about him, his own personal like what, what what's your headspace? But it sounds like it could be something more involved in the game itself. Yeah, and what's your headspace? Cottage core, bitch. I mean, it, it, yeah, I've heard of cottage core. It's a lifestyle, cottage lifestyle. It includes makeup and clothing and accessories. Cottage core. Yeah, I know. It's a thing. Anyways, yeah, I've got to imagine that the game kind of ranks you based on your actions. But again, they don't really explain that. And it's kind of interesting that that's, again, that that's a clutch situation here. You know, and it's almost like, but, but you know what though? Fuck it. it. Now that you mention it, and this is a great point, it feels like this entire chapter was intended to reference back to the first book, intended to reference that first key, right? Because you're right. There are a lot of bits here that are very similar. And I feel like this is the point where from here on out with very little, you know, with a little bit of exception, the book is a lot better after this chapter. It is much more like the first book from here on out. There is more feeling of risk. In this chapter, it wanted to drum up a feeling of risk, but never came through. You know, risk of time, I got horses. Risk of Wolfie, we'll put him to sleep. Risk of the baddest NPC ever, we'll put him to sleep. 
you know, risk of the armies and volcanoes. Uh, eagles. Uh, eagly. I'm, I'm going to take my handy container of volcano repellent. <laughs> I'm going to put a shield over us and it'll be circular and we'll be able to run like a ball. With a hamster inside. It's the bubble boy incantation. I was thinking Incredibles, but you know, sure. It, well, you get it. It, it feels like it's your. It's we're pulling quick solutions out, and as a result, it robs you of this threat, right? I mean, you lose H. So you know, we've made a swing. We definitely know that there's. We were down a person, a valuable player. So, you know, that, I think that that was the only real kicker here as far as threat. But you know, like you'd said. You know, if if he had just pulled out the capsule, then we could have robot kicked that wolf or into oblivion. Some, uh, something. <laughs> yeah. Drop kick him to the moon. Uh, it's, you know, it feels like, yeah, but this this feels a lot like Indiana Jones, where uh, the dudes on. come at him with a with a fucking swords of flailing and he just pulls oh, out yeah, his gun yeah. and shoots him like that's what it should have been. Right, <laughs> I got this thing, and then grab them and toss them. I mean, if you got it, yeah. use it. Anyways, okay. Well, I think we're drilling it, man. Is there anything else? We got what you liked. What I like here, I like your reference. I, I like the reference back to the Tomb of Horrors. I feel like there are a lot of direct references to the Tomb of Horrors. It feels like like we started in the Tomb of Hor- Tomb of Horrors, and we're ending in the Tomb of yeah. Horrors to a certain extent before the main boss battle. So it kind of puts like nice end caps on it. Now that you've brought this to light, that that gives me a a more favorable opinion of this chapter. I'm glad that you picked up on that. And I also like the fact that this was a little bit more in line with what I like, even though I'm not as familiar with with uh, Lord of the Rings. But it's not Prince World, where I am familiar with Prince, and I I, I definitely was not digging the vibe. Here, at least, while I couldn't pronounce half the words in the chapter, I was at least following along. And it was kind of like, okay, this is it's kind of D&D-ish. So, all right, cool. Anyways, yeah. yeah. So, no, kind I, of in I the same you. vein. Kind of in the same vein. And those moments, there are those tease moments of, of where you're like, oh, no, what are they going to do right before they whip out the solution? So, there were those moments where you're like, oh, fuck. Okay. Oh, fuck. Okay. Oh, fuck. Okay. Shit. You know, at least in those moments, is kind of like, you know, this is foreplay. I feel these chapters are foreplay yeah. before the no. end game. Yeah. It's and, almost and, a, it's it's teasing verbal fellatio. Whoa. <clears throat> yeah. And the the one last thing I wanted to mention that I liked in this this pair of chapters was Parzival's sign off in the text message to Artemis mm. when he says MTFBWIA, which yeah, obviously may the force be with you always. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's how Ernest Klein signed our books when we did the book signing. My gosh, what year was that? Uh, long. It was in a, it was a long, long, Had long to time like ago. Four or five years ago now. In a galaxy far, far away. Yeah. Boy, that's making me feel old. <laughs> Yeah, you've had kids since then, dude. I've had eight kids since then. Yeah. All right. Okay, let's wrap it up, man. Yeah. Anything else before we cut off? Any anything else that we uh, that we missed? 
No, I don't think so. Uh, We've wrung the good part out of this. I think if there was something to be seen, I don't know enough about Tolkien to have found it. Yeah. I'm just looking forward to the next, to, to wrapping up this book. We're, we're close to the end. I think the book does get better in these in this last part. And I agree. This is the sunny side. Yeah. Yeah. This is the, the climax is coming. All right. Well, I think we've cracked this nut. Fair enough. This is Chris. And this is Aaron. We will catch you on the next episode of Get to the Good Part. See ya. See ya.